Hi, I'm Pastor Adam, and you're listening to the Orange United Methodist Sermon Podcast. We're a church in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, that wants to help you find your place in God's story. And we hope this sermon can guide you along that journey. Visit orangemethodist.org to find out more information about location, service times, upcoming events, and ways to give. We hope you enjoy. this morning. Let us pray. Holy God, open our hearts and minds by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that as the scripture has been read and your word will be proclaimed, that we may hear with joy and challenge and change what you say to us today. Amen. Good morning once again. I am Pastor Corey, one of the ministers here at Orange, and what a gift as always to be together. Pastor Adam did indeed make it back from the middle school mission trip, uh, but he is away this morning to hear his father preach. And so we pray for Reverend Billy's seat as he delivers a word, and we pray for Pastor Adam as he is away. And we mentioned last week that Pastor Adam and I were both away at our annual conferences. I was in Virginia, he was in North Carolina, and we haven't said it officially yet, so I wanted to let you all know that the bishop did fix our appointments, and we will both be at Orange Neck for another year, uh, and that means, <laughs> that's so sweet, thank you. Uh, <laughs> well, that means I'm starting my fifth appointment year at Orange, and Pastor Adam is starting his fourth appointment year, and I just thought it might be fun to see exactly what a fifth appointment year looks like. Brian, shoot that. So that first picture is Ephraim, what, the first or second week we were here, and that's Ephraim now. So... <laughs> If you ever wonder how long has Pastor Corey been here, just ask Ephraim how old he is. Uh, so that's how long we've been here. Uh, but we are excited, very, very excited for what another year of ministry here holds. And this Sunday, we are jumping into our official summer worship series, Oldies Playlist. And over the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at stories from the Old Testament. And we actually get to pick the stories. Sometimes when we do a series or doing the lectionary, our texts are given to us. But this time, we get to choose our text. So you may be surprised that this Sunday, I picked a real crowd pleaser. The story of Job. Uh, now, the book of Job is the longest poem in Scripture. That's how it's categorized. It falls in the wisdom literature with the Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs. And if you're unfamiliar with it, this story is one that grapples with theodicy. And that's a fancy theological word for the problem of evil or the problem of suffering in the world. And so theodicy means we think about this question in a framework where we believe in a God that's good. Suffering is something we all know about we all know what it means to suffer. We suffer personally and collectively. We suffer on behalf of others and as a result of others. Our suffering sometimes we have a hard time speaking of and we endure it. We, often, we also cause it. And for many of us who enter into a relationship with God, as we begin to build that relationship, as with any relationship, questions come up. We don't always have clarity, we face unforeseen challenges, and we, we inevitably change. So I'm sure for many of us, I hope for most of us, this question has arisen. Why do we suffer? Why do people suffer? This question is so heavy and hard that it's the reason a lot of people walk away from faith. 
If God is good, then why do people suffer? If God is all-powerful, then why would God let people suffer? The lack of answers or understanding is enough for many folks to walk away. Let me begin by saying I do not have all the answers around suffering. I wish I did. So now you're really wondering why did she choose this text this morning? I chose it because this issue matters. It matters to so many of us. We're uncomfortable with suffering. We feel shame about our suffering. We feel anxious about the anger that comes up when we do suffer. That anger, I'm angry still about what happened in Uvalde, Texas, struggling to understand why so many innocent lives were taken at the hands of extreme and needless violence. I'm confused why people in Ukraine continue to be attacked and bombed and forcibly relocated even as the news falls more and more silent. I'm sad that despite our very best efforts, people still get sick and they don't always recover. I'm heartbroken that this week, once again, we witness how incredibly divided our country is. We refuse to listen or empathize with one another. We cause each other, each other so much harm, and we suffer because of it. Rest assured, whenever I prepare a sermon, I'm not preaching to you, I'm preaching with you. So the reflections that the Spirit draws Fourth, as I study God's word, speak to me as much as I speak them to you. And I'm in the trenches with you as we faithfully try to navigate and discern with the Spirit's guidance, how do we trust God? How do we seek God in the midst of our uncertainty and our confusion and our great suffering? Just this past week, I had a conversation with one of you, and I called to check in and a person, it was about a 20-minute phone call, started to give me an update on all the happenings in their life. And then suddenly the person paused and said, you know, Pastor Corey, I'm just so sorry that everything I'm telling you is so tragic. You know, I don't mean to sound ungrateful or, well, tragic. That's just how life is right now. I broke my heart. What kind of world have we created when somehow people feel the need to apologize for their suffering I'm so sorry I'm suffering so much. We're all suffering so much. The Israelites were a suffering people. The writers of the Old Testament were people who knew slavery and exile and violence. They were God's chosen people, and yet they suffered. Jesus was God's only begotten son, and his suffering is unbearable. Why? Why is not an unfaithful question. It is an honest question, and it's a question we ask because God has given us critical minds, and the scripture has given us permission to ask it. Many of the psalms that you may have read are psalms of lament, asking this question. Psalm 13, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Or Psalm 31, for my life is spent in sorrow, and my years with sighing. My strength has failed me because of my iniquity, and my body has wasted away. And in our story today, we discover a man named Job. 
It tells the story of a man who had it all. In every way, he was rich in land, in money, in family, in faith, even faith. And the story of Job opens with this description of this upright man. And God is describing him. And one day Satan, or it refers to him here as the adversary, approaches God in heaven. And God boasts about what a wonderful person Job is how faithful he is. And Satan says that Job is only faithful because of all the blessings he has received from God. Satan challenges God that if everything were taken away from Job, he would no longer remain faithful. So God accepts the challenge and tells Satan that he may do anything he'd like except take Job's life. And so Satan does, and it is awful. He takes everything from Job, his family, his wealth, his land. And yet Job prays to God still. So then Satan takes away his health and Job will not curse God. Now Job has three friends, you may have similar ones, who mean well. They come and mourn with him and then they try to explain to Job why he's suffering so much. They tell him he's probably done something worth more suffering than he's currently experiencing. And so he should be kind of grateful that things aren't worse. Job is, beside, Job is beside himself because he believes his character is blameless. He struggles to understand. He questions why would such judgment exist? What's interesting is that since chapter two, while all of these humans have struggled to understand why is Job suffering, God has remained completely silent. Job laments that the wicked prosper and the innocent suffer, and Job seeks an audience. He demands an audience with God. He wants to confront God about what he's endured. And then another fourth friend enters with more bad theology as he tries to convince Job one more time that it's probably his own fault that he's suffering so much. We know it's bad theology because I think God finally can't take it anymore. And this is where God interrupts the story in a whirlwind. And God speaks. And that's a portion that Jean read for us this morning. And what's potentially confusing or unsatisfying in this speech that God gives, in part of it, is that God doesn't really answer Job's question. God declares God's self as the caretaker and creator of the world, the one who is above all human thought and wisdom. And instead of telling Job that he's going to provide some answers, God tells Job he has more questions for him. And he does. He proceeds to lay out the complexity of the world, and he reveals that we as humans lack understanding and wisdom. And that may be very disconcerting for some of us, that God doesn't answer the question of suffering in the book of Job. And for others, we may find comfort in God's declaration that God, uh, that God has so much care and so much concern for creation. But what I want to point out in the story of Job is that what we do discover is that God does not affirm Job's friends. God does not affirm their allegations. In fact, as I said, he, he interrupts them. 
God doesn't affirm that Job's suffering is God's punishment or judgment or desire. I find great comfort in the absence of God's voice lending itself to a theology that suggests to us today that God purposely causes our suffering to punish us or to teach us. I want to take this question of suffering and cling to it as we follow the character of God into the New Testament. Because of the pain and brokenness of the world, God doesn't abandon us in our suffering. God doesn't abandon Job. God doesn't turn away from us because we have chosen evil. Instead, God's heart is so bent toward our redemption and our restoration, so much so that God steps into humanity. And not the humanity that Job knew. God doesn't step into wealth and power. God steps into the pain of poverty. Jesus is born to a suffering people, a people who are oppressed and poor. And Jesus doesn't spend three years of his ministry reminding people or explaining to people why they are suffering. No, Jesus spends his ministry seeking to alleviate and heal suffering. And when those who need healing come to Jesus, Jesus doesn't tell them you've earned your pain, now live with it. He offers love and care and compassion. He walks with and among those who are in pain. And then he endures it. Jesus endures the suffering and the pain that we may know. He suffers and he endures at the hand of evil. He cries out in lament on the cross, why God have you forsaken me? Jesus suffers, and that doesn't answer our question either. Why do bad things happen? We lack wisdom. We are human. We may never understand. But what we do understand as people of faith, as a people who long to love God more deeply, what we know from this person this person in Jesus, is that in the midst of our pain and our suffering, we are not alone. Because Jesus is never far off. Jesus is the one who endures with us, weeps with us, holds us, and promises us that resurrection, life, abundance, love, all have the final word. Suffering will never be the end of our story in Christ. Our Sunday small group, has been studying a book by the Reverend Adam Hamilton entitled, Making Sense of the Bible. And I think all of us in our group can say that it's challenged us to think in new ways. It has made us uncomfortable, and it has also brought great comfort. In the book, Adam talks about suffering and how we struggle to understand it through a theological lens. And as he does, he quotes an anonymous newspaper clipping that has always stayed close to his heart. And I want to share it with you now. Ryan will put it up. It says, suffering is not God's desire for us, but it occurs in the process of life. Suffering is not given to teach us something, but through it we may learn. 
Suffering is not giving to teach others something, but through it, they may learn. Suffering is not given to punish us, but sometimes it is the consequence of our sin or poor judgment. Suffering does not occur because our faith is weak, but sometimes through it, our faith may be strengthened. God does not depend on human suffering to achieve his purposes, but sometimes through suffering, God's purposes are achieved. Suffering can either destroy us or it can add meaning to our life. Now, as I was preparing this week, I had a conversation with, again, one of our members here at Orange, Marcella Twomley. She said I could share this with you. And as many of you know, our first babies, we both now have two, Ephraim and Lydia, are about two months apart. And it wasn't very long after I began serving at Orange that Lydia experienced a severe and sudden illness that required her to be hospitalized for several months. Marcel and her husband, Stephen, and her family and I spent a lot of time together in those months. We've continued to spend a lot of time together in these years since. But as many of you know, Marcella wrote at length through her suffering. While Lydia was hospitalized and far beyond it, and her writings became such an amazing gift to so many of us. She wrote through the lens of her experience as someone who believes God works in us and through us and that God is with us, especially in our suffering. And I'll never forget someone coming up to me after service in those first months during Lydia's hospitalization. And I'm not sure I've ever even told Marcella this, but that person asked me for an update about Lydia and I told them and then confided in me that she had read every word Marcella had written. And that Marcella's witness in the midst of Lydia's illness had in fact renewed her own faith. God didn't make Lydia sick. And yet Lydia's story has inspired and led others to experience God's grace anew. How beautiful is that? that God can take the broken pieces of our hearts and our lives and piece together a mosaic that we could never have imagined. If we allow God to breathe in us and through us, even in the midst of our pain. If you are suffering, God has not abandoned you. And I pray that as an individual and as a community, we can be vessels that remind one another of that. I'm not sure if I've left you with more answers than questions this morning, but what I do pray we leave with is hope. Hope in the midst of our suffering, a hope that affirms within us that God is a God who desires redemption and wholeness for each of us and never, ever our suffering. A God who comes alongside us in our suffering, in our weeping, in our weakness, even to Job. God shows up. God never abandons him. I want to leave you with this. A few years ago, I read a book on lament called Prayer in the Night. And in it, the author references a period of time that her and her husband were struggling in their marriage. And so they went away for a few days to see if they couldn't find one another again. And as they were gone, they'd gone into a shop and they found a sign that said, everything will be okay in the end. If it's not okay, it's not the end. And when we map that onto our Christian journey, we can not only cling to the word okay, 
but we can substitute it with the word whole, resurrected, glorious, made right. Everything will be whole in the end. If it isn't resurrected, it isn't the end. Our end is resurrection, always. Our end is new life. Our now is new life. And nothing, no suffering can ever separate us from that great truth. Let us pray. God, you know what it is to suffer in many ways that none of us can imagine. And you weep with us in the midst of our own pain. So many of us are suffering right now. Our pain is unbearable. We pray for those who suffer at the hand of patriarchy, politicians, and governments. We pray for those who suffer because of natural and unnatural disasters. We pray for those who suffer at the hands of loved ones who are anything but loving. We pray for those who suffer because communities feel threatened by change. We pray for those who suffer oppression because they are different. We pray for those whose bodies are suffering from the reality of illness. We pray for ourselves as we suffer the consequences of harm we have caused. And we pray for those who suffer from harm we have caused. You weep at the tomb of Lazarus. You struggle in the garden. You question on the cross. Be with us in the weeping, in the struggling, in the questioning. God who suffers with us, we are not alone. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. Please join us again next week. In the meantime, you can find us online at orangemethodist.org.